Welcome back to Let Freedom Reign Podcast, the official equine industry podcast of Day 6 Ranch. I'm your host, Jason Swick, and on this show, we discuss leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship from topics and perspectives exclusive to the equine industry. If you are looking to build a legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com and explore our free content, other podcasts, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. We thank you for joining us on this adventure. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting week here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Once again, we had a really busy week, and just yesterday we finished week two of Horses and Heroes at the Victory Therapy Center in Roanoke, Texas. It was an exciting day working horses and using the fundamental principles of liberty horsemanship to better understand the communication dynamic between horses and humans. Bill Force of the Liberty and Loyalty Foundation paid us a visit, as he will be teaching team roping in the next few weeks. During week three of the program, Buster Fireson will be out to introduce the group to the working cowboy and the versatility of such profession. We will be in Wyoming for a few days this week at the Triangle C Ranch recording with Chris Cox for his podcast, Come Ride the Journey. If you do not follow his show, the easiest way to find it is through Spotify. And again, the title is Come Ride the Journey podcast with Chris Cox. We also solidified plans for our August 26th event with Versatile Horsemanship in Nakona, Texas. That event will be a free one-day Liberty workshop that will include Liberty demonstrations, various instruction, and a cookout. We will open registration for that event in the next couple weeks, but stay tuned through Day 6 Ranch and Versatile Horsemanship social media to have first opportunity at registration. In September, we'll be partnering up with the Fort Worth Mustang Show at the John Justin and Will Rogers Memorial Center in Fort Worth, Texas. This will be an amazing display of horsemanship, and we are honored to take part in such a great event. You can visit the FortWorthMustangShow.com to view the event, purchase tickets, and look through the show schedule. Now this week on Let Freedom Reign podcast, we have professional cowboy Anthony Thomas. I met Tomo a couple years back through a men's ministry, and he is an incredible cowboy, servant, and man of God. He has one heck of a testimony, coming from a chaotic childhood, to living his dream of a Texas cowboy and businessman. To learn more about Anthony Thomas and all he has going on, you can follow him on Instagram at AT Horsepower, on Facebook at Anthony Thomas Professional Cowboy, or visit thomascattleandcatering.com to learn more about his farm-to-table beef operation. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here's our conversation with Anthony Thomas. So tonight I'm up in Oakley City, Utah at the big 4th of July tour rodeo, and I have a, a very famous superstar horse, veteran horse named Good Time Charlie um, from Pete Car Pro Rodeo. And uh, this horse used to be owned by Scotty Loveless way back in the day, a uh, stock contractor that, that my good friend Pete ended up buying out. And uh, for as long as I can remember watching on TV since I was a kid, uh, this old horse was in the TV pen at the national finals on TV. Um, and so he's a very special animal. He's one of the greatest of all time in that, He's been going to the finals for more than 15 years and still is right now. Um, he's a 90-point horse then, and he's a 90-point horse now. Um, this is my, I believe, 10th year in the in the PRCA in America, and I've been trying to draw this horse and horses like this horse um, my whole career, and I haven't. And tonight I got a chance at this great horse, uh, 213 Good Time Charlie. And so... You know, there's 
50 or 60 guys going down the road that all that are all supreme athletes in the sport and on any given day if they draw the right horse and have the right day they could they could win you know and so it, yeah. to have a horse to have one of the one of the greats next to your name it takes out a lot of the it takes out a lot of the fight to be honest because there's just some horses that jump high and are flashy and are athletic and do it right in front of the judges that give you more of a chance to to win than than some of the others that don't have a big name or don't have that flashy style of bucking to where you can showcase your ability so i'm yeah. pretty blessed i was gonna say my hat's off to both of you because 10 years as a as a bucking horse rider is pretty dang long time at the professional yeah. level right and 15 yeah. years as a bucking horse yeah uh, it's, it's th- those are those are on the longer ends of the longevity spectrum correct yeah big time this is a very very violent sport it's the most violent sport in the world i've got buddies that are ufc fighters that look at what we do and watch what we do and they call us insane and really honestly i think they're crazy but they think we're even more crazy so, um, <laughs> it's a lot a lot of energy that's yeah, for dang it, sure it's very violent you know um yeah i've done it for, for a long time and it's a part of me it's not my identity yeah. but for a very long time it was you know and so yep yep I, uh, man I, I i had that struggle a lot in my career got that that identity misplaced for a while yep it's for dang that's sure a real thing for guys that for guys that want to push themselves to the limit and make something of themselves for sure identity becomes identity is a problem for guys like us because it becomes what you do becomes who you are and that's not right but yeah to an extent it you know it 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 causes you to strive to try to achieve greatness but it's but in, in the long run it's in the wrong order because it doesn't matter how successful you are if you're doing things for the wrong reasons there'll be a stopping point in the road at some point, you know? And so for a lot of people like us, you get to the point where this is my identity. This is who I am. I need to, to do whatever it takes. I need to try as hard as I can to be this person, to achieve this goal in my career, in my, in my lifestyle. And yeah, it's, it, I mean, I've been a professional rodeo cowboy for 15 years and it uh, has led me down a wild path. Heck yeah, but that path gets pretty dang rocky when when you talk about that overinvestment identity and that there's going to come a day when you you jump on a horse for the last time, right? And yeah. what happens in the moments and seasons of life after that is really where you start to see what guys are made of, at least in my experience. And yeah. I, I fell flat on my face several times over, you know. I, I have a relatively decent view of identity and understanding of identity now and how to ground it. Yeah. But it's because I failed so bad at it before. You know, it was definitely an experiential learning environment for me to to gain the views that I have today. And really, once you solidify, and it, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective, when I really found out who I was, and for me, being made in God's image, right, is yep. is everything for me. Yeah, it has to my, be. And to simply, my confidence went through the roof. To, to simply, to put it in a simple term... How can you how can you put your identity in something that you can lose? Yeah. You 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 can't you can lose your career. You can break your back, you can start to suck, you can go broke, you can a multitude of things can happen. But but you can never lose your identity in Christ. 
the word, yeah. John 1, 1 says the word, in the beginning the word was God and the word will always be God and, and, the, and, and the word will stand the test of time and even after the world is over, the, still, the, the word will still be. And so your identity, our identity, all of us, our identity is in the word and we can't lose that. Absolutely. So when, you, when you bask in, in the reality of, of what we know now, you will actually excel in your career because there's less of a mental pressure on yourself to achieve this thing or be this person. And, and once you put that out of the way, you actually have room to do better. It provides a lot more clarity in your vision, and I felt more weightless, if that made sense, makes sense. Yep. There wasn't so much pressure to perform, but since human performance is kind of a big part of what we do, I want to talk about Good Time Charlie and being that this is a pretty benchmark night in your career. Oh, talk I, me through. Your- I, I hope so. We we don't want to freaking <laughs> let the cat out of the bag too early. <laughs> I, I, I'm feeling great and I've got a great horse, but we've still got to put it together tonight. <laughs> and that's the exact point that I want to talk about. What? Talk me through your preparation. Talk me through shoot, shoot procedures on a night like tonight. Yeah, so I don't. Uh, I've already prepared. Like when I go when I go to a rodeo, I'm not thinking about what I need to do or what I should do because I I, I played that over in my mind all week long in the gym on the on the spur board of the bucking machine over and over and over and visualized that winning ride on that horse. Literally, when I get on my wooden spur board that, that I make that's in the shape of a horse and it's necks padded like a horse so I can thump on it, I, I, when I look down at the spur board, I'm literally looking down at that, that horse's mane and that horse, you know, I know what that horse looks like, especially a famous one like this. And I've played that mind, that ride out in my mind a hundred times. And then with having a phenomenal, you know, physical therapy team in Houston and having my strength coach that's been my ride or die for the last six years that studied my sport and and trains my body for the event specific to me. Um, as far as uh, there's nothing I can do or think about that's going to change what's ahead of me. Like I'm at the rodeo. <laughs> I'm about to put my yeah. – I'm about to put my yeah. rigging on this horse. It's, I can't do nothing. That Only God can change what's going to happen next. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Amen. Adrenaline running. Uh, you know, I, I like to get there two hours before and go see my horse because this is rodeo and crap happens and there's always extenuating circumstances at times. So I like to get there and make sure my horse is there and he's ready to go. And, um, go through all my gear. You know, we ride with a rawhide bareback rigging that swells in the humidity and shrinks in the heat or, and shrinks in the cold. So making sure everything fits right so that my hand's not going to come out, checking all my bolts and then just going through all my gear, make sure my spur rails haven't fallen out. None of my spur straps are broke. Um, cause you don't want to find that out 10 minutes before you ride. You're in big trouble. Yeah. That's a disadvantage at that so, point. So, um, and then, you know, I, I, if, if there's a, if the Justin sports medicines trailer there, I'll, I'll go and, um, do some physical therapy stuff because Lord knows I've had a lot of injuries and um, at this point in my career it's just injury management. So there's a PNF dynamic warm-up that I do with the trainers and then I'll do my own warm-up and then about 40 minutes before the rodeo I start to tape my arm and my elbow, which takes about 20, 30 minutes. 
So when we're bareback riding, generally is the first event at any pro rodeo. So kind of 15 minutes before the rodeo starts, the horses roll in, the shoots start banging and clashing and clanging and and you know the horses have rolled into the bucking shoots and we've got to have all of our stuff on and by the time the grand entry starts by the time the the national anthem and the prayer starts to roll around we need to be pulled down because five minutes into the rodeo it's time to go so yeah game time it's two hours before but it uh it goes so fast you've you've got you've got stuff to do the whole time and of course there's times when flights get delayed or canceled or you get stuck in a roadblock or a car breaks down or something and you roll right in there 15 minutes before the rodeo starts or right as the rodeo starts. And in those moments, you don't have time to warm up or do any of your stuff. You just kind of slap it on and make it work. But in an ideal situation, an hour and a half to two hours before we ride, that's that's what we do. So, Man, I'll tell you what, we could probably go on for hours as far as preparation and visualization training and running through equipment and dry running stuff all for a few seconds of, of performance. It's pretty dang exciting to hear the procedure and how it goes through. And, man, there's so much in my career that was a a direct resemblance of, of the preparation that you put into rodeo, I put into to any given operation or mission that I was involved in. But since we're here to talk horses and talk life, let's, uh, let's go into a little bit of your history. And grew up in Australia, came over to the States, and I know your history and your upbringing was less than ideal. Is that a fair way to describe yeah, it? for sure. So let's, let's jump off wherever you see fit, but uh, yeah. So once people get to know you, it's going to be no doubt as to how strong you are and why you are so strong and so mentally tough. Cause yeah. um, you, you've had to be a fighter your whole life. Yep. Absolutely. And so I grew up in, uh, up until I was around 12 years old, I grew up in Perth, West Australia. I had a, a really troubled childhood. My parents dropped the ball dismally on on being a parent to me. I was the first child, you know, and um, they had me on 10 to 12 different types of medication from the time I was 9 or 10 years old right up until I decided to run away or move away. And uh, it was pretty traumatic. I don't really remember much about my childhood before, like kind of 13 years old. My my memories blocked it out. I couldn't even tell you who the people were. Um, long story short, I, I, I decided I was going to move away from home at a young age. And we lived in poverty, you know, in, in West Australia. So... The closest to the hood is what, as a, <laughs> for in American terms, is, is you know what I'm saying. Like we, that's how we grew up. Yes, that's sir. where we grew up in Perth, in, in yes, the city sir. of West Australia. So I had this. I was a city kid that was confused and angry, and felt let down and deserted by my family. And so um, I didn't know anything about horses at all. Um, but I had this burning feeling in my heart. As a, as a troubled young kid that I needed to be with horses. And uh, I, I don't know, I didn't know where it came from. Of course, I do now. But I didn't know where it came from at that point. But I do remember my mother taking me to one of her friend's places that lived in kind of like the suburbs um, outside of the city. 
and they said there was an old horse there, an old racehorse that was there. It's kind of a paddock ornament. The horse was, you know, crazy. You couldn't ride him or anything, but they loved to have him up against the fence, and they used to feed him treats and stuff. It's a great big old grey thoroughbred. His name was Flight. Anyway, they went inside to visit and talk or whatever. I connected with this horse, and I crawled up on this horse's back, standing in the pasture, and went to riding him around. And I knew the feeling at that point that God wanted me to be with the horse. And when they came out, they couldn't believe it because none of them could ride him, and he was crazy, and nobody rode him for years since he was on the track. So anyway, that was a little bit. Well, they just found somebody crazy enough to take a chance. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I was a confused kid that had no idea. So, growing up my whole life, my parents told me that there was something wrong with me and that I'd never be okay and um, I'd never be normal and I'd never be able to do anything and the world hates me and, you know, so basically the same as what a lot of uh, misguided and underprivileged kids in the, in the inner cities, parents tell them and they, and they accept it as their identity, you know, but I, I, I refuse to accept that as my identity. So... Long story short, I ran away. I ended up at a boarding school in a, a, a Christian boarding school in the middle of nowhere. Um, it was kind of a last chance school for kids like me. And um, it was also a school for kids from cattle stations that lived too far from town to be able to go to a normal school. Because in Australia, if you live on a cattle station, you might be 100 or 150 kilometers from the nearest civilization. It might only be a pub and a a post office and a store. So long story short, again, I went to the cat I went to the, the boarding school which was five and a half hours north in the middle of nowhere from from Perth and they had horses there. And of course I was just drawn to them. I I, I, I met a couple of these kids that were cowboys and I just knew in my heart that that's what I wanted to be. That's what I needed to be. And I went to the horses and I stayed with them and I just, for the first time in my life, felt a sense of like I'd belong, you know? Yeah. And and that was that gut feeling, that burning feeling in my chest that, that that's, what I was, that's where I was supposed to be and that's what I was supposed to be. And so over the course of the next couple of years in boarding school, you know, I had tried to go back to my family home dynamic in Perth and each time it got worse and worse. It, got, it just wasn't for me, you know, and, and, and God was telling me that you need to go do your own thing. Um, I didn't know this at the time, of course, because I was born and raised Catholic and they didn't really teach us about the world or the Bible or who Jesus was at all. Didn't know about him or who he was or whether I could have a relationship with him or that I could even talk to him personally. And so at this point I'm just walking around blind going off that burning feeling in my chest. Well, I made friends with a couple of kids that whose, whose families owned and run cattle stations in the Kimberley in the northwest of Australia. And uh, instead of going home anymore on the, on the school holidays, I would go to – I ended up going to these cattle stations and going working like a man. Like I lived in the single men's quarters with the other workers. Um, I was a – I was a confused, troubled, um, underdeveloped kid. I think I was 90 or 100 pounds. I hadn't grown because I was so stunted from all of the drugs. 
um, and I went to work. And I went to, to breaking in, catching and breaking in brumbies and, and, and catching wild cattle, and, and I was good at all of it. It was what I was supposed to be and where I was supposed to be. And so I really found a sense of fulfillment with those horses, with those troubled horses. You know, we would, I think they call it burlap sacks over here. In, Austra- in Australia, we call it hessian. So they would, mm-hmm. so they would, they would put a mile long wing coming off of a water in the middle of nowhere. Um, and they, and they, a fence wing leading up to a portable yard, a portable corral. And they would, um, disguise the wing with hessian burlap sacks. And so the helicopter would go up in the air when the horses would, when those brumbies, those wild horses would come on the water and then they, the, the helicopter would start chasing them off the water and these horses thought they would think that they were escaping, but they'd be running smooth into the, into the corrals and we'd trap them and we'd break those horses in and break them to ride to go to work on them. A lot of these horses were seven, eight, nine-year-old Brumby buck stallions and, and mares that were very dangerous, that were confused and, and, and wanted to use their body in defense, that kick and buck and strike. And, uh, I just had a sense of connection with these horses right out of the gate. They wouldn't throw me off very often when they'd buck. And I got kicked pretty bad a few times and struck with the front feet pretty bad a few times. And that was enough for me to learn the signs of when, where to stand and when to go well, and to when start to paying stop. attention to. So, so that I, I, I developed understanding with these, with these troubled horses that, that were confused and thought that they were going to be harmed. And I, and I, and I was able to make a quick connection with them in a, in a friendly way. And, and I was able to really make a, a friendship with these horses and go to working on them. Some of them would still buck, but I loved it, you know? And yeah. so from yeah. there with wild horses and wild, wild cattle and, and, and just being naturally good at riding the ones that bucked and craving it, you know, I fell into rodeo. I, I had skills as a young ringer to break horses and chase cattle and throw bulls by the tail but I had zero life skills. I mean, I was immature. I was angry. I had no role models. I had no, like, no family life, no parental guidance of how I should act and what I should say. And I was a very immature, troubled kid. However, what I had going for me in my life was that I was a cowboy because that's all I'd ever wanted to be and that I was a good horseman and a cattleman. You bring up a good point, though, and I know this will hit home for you. Uh, now having your own daughter and it's a driving mission. And one of the things that we take on here at day six ranch, like I, I firmly believe that the father can turn this country. Yep. We, we just have to empower the fathers with the skill set to be able to take on that work, you know, and you're living proof and a testament to that, that you didn't have that upbringing at all. You didn't have that father figure in your life. And I'd, I'd venture to say that nobody on the station really took on that role for you. And for you, God introduced the horse and you started to work on yourself and started to understand yourself a little bit better. But now you're in a position to be a father figure to a baby girl mm-hmm. and and carry on all those life lessons and prevent that heartache that you had right. in her upbringing. You know, it's a, it's a, all of it is a blessing in hindsight. And there were so many chapters in my life that I look back and I was sick of, I ran from, I was confused, I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. But now, now I have the hindsight to look back and see that, man, those were seasons of preparation. And that hard, difficult stuff that sucked now has made me a far better human being. 
I see kids in rodeo going through everything that I, I, I wouldn't say everything, but I, I see them going through stuff in their confusion and acting out in sin or in anger or in, or in defense of, uh, about the same things that I battled with when, when I was their age. Cause you know, I'm 35 years old and I'm riding against 18 year old kids in the rodeos now. And I see a lot of the similarities of the things that I went through that I dealt with the wrong ways. Even when I first came over here, I was super immature. I, again, I had no guidance and, um, yeah. It's it you know it's it's God's placed on my heart to minister to and shepherd to some of these these young guys that they're going through the same stuff that I went through. So yeah, all those learning lessons that you received are a blessing of of God, right? And you have to be a steward of those man. opportunities. They're not yours to hold on to. You got to give them away. Hundred percent. Heck yeah! So did American Pro Rodeo was that the draw to get you here to the states or? Yeah. So in two thousand and eleven, so. I left the cattle stations in West Australia. I've always kind of had itchy feet to, to, to make it to the next level, to do the next best thing, to, t- to test myself more and more. And so, of course, the cattle stations in West Australia was my home. You know, even though it wasn't my home, in my heart it was my home because it was a place that it was the first place I'd ever gone to where I felt like I belonged. Um, fishing and hunting and living a primitive lifestyle and, 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 with wild horses and wild cattle, but it's kind of a dead end if you want to be a rodeo cowboy because they only had five or six rodeos a year. All the other time, everybody <laughs> worked, and so It'd be tough to make a living. I had to move to the eastern states um, with two of my best friends. We moved to the eastern states to chase the rodeo dream, what we thought was a rodeo dream at a to- at the time. But even so, like the Australian rodeos are like a third world country compared to American rodeos, and yeah. so. We we packed up our shoe and to, tools and our work saddles, and and our ropes and our rigging bags, and um, we moved to the eastern states. And we didn't have nowhere to go. We didn't know anybody. We were homeless. Like my best friend and I, we were living in our swags, which is in America you call them a bedroll, in the in in the in the in the county rodeo grounds, in the on the ground next to our next to our utes because we didn't have anywhere to go. We didn't know anybody. Anyway, yeah. it didn't take us long, and we found a, we, we found a bull-catching job. Um, there was a guy a couple of hours from the town we ended up in that had, that had a lot of wild cattle on his place that he needed ringers to come help catch those cattle, and we, we caught bulls, you know, growing up all our lives. So we soon, you know, a week, two weeks in, we soon found a, a job bull-catching and breaking in Brumbies again. And so we found a place that was similar to – back home in the Kimberley. So um, fast forward, I ended up doing really well on the Australian rodeos. It took me a few years um, riding two events in the in the bucking horses. And the, I, I was riding bulls, first of all, because, you know, back home we, we caught so many wild cattle, we caught so many wild bulls, we used to catch those bulls in the head squeeze and put a rope around them and ride them. Um, but also rode the bucking horses because our work every day was taming horses. Was riding bucking horses, yeah. Yeah, so that's, you know, how I just developed a strong love for the sport. Well, I really wanted to hone in on my horsemanship and I really, you know, appreciated the the rhythm and the timing and the power that horses had, so I stopped riding bulls. And I ended up going on to win the Australian Pro Tour in the bareback riding and also – 
won all round title in, 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 in saddle bronc riding as well. And so both the buck and horse events is what I was just, um, really passionate about and good at. So, um, Australia's daddy of them all, the biggest rodeo that they have is called Mount Isa. I won Mount Isa. And then that year, 2011, I won the Australian Pro Tour. And then, you know, obviously it was always my dream to move to the United States and, 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 and have a real go at it. When we were on the cattle station, we had a, we, we had a generator. We didn't have 24 hour power. So we wouldn't have power for most of the day. And then the generator would kick on at night, the diesel generator that'd give us power. And we had two or three tapes that we watched over and over and over again. And one of them was eight seconds, the movie. And so <laughs> we watched it over and over. We know every word. Me and my boys that yeah. I grew up with, we know every word Heck yeah. of the whole movie. And that's all we ever wanted to be was American Rodeo Cowboys and moved to Texas. And that was a dream that was in my heart from when I was a kid. And I wasn't going to let anything stop me. And I saved up my money and I moved to the States. And uh, this is where I am now and this is what I do. I was going to say all those dreams came true. Yeah, I mean, all thanks to God. I mean, you, you, you have to dream big, and it might not. It, your dream might not always be your reality, but know that if you, if you, if you truly believe and accept that God's plan for you is the best plan for you, there's it. it the Bible says it'll it'll exceed any human understanding. It's absolutely true, uh, Jr. Well, you know Jr. Vazane, right? Him and I yep. started this faith based series and called White Horse Ramuda and that the conversation, the point that you just brought up, he and I had several months ago, maybe a year ago, I don't even know. And it was just at that point, is it sometimes I don't think we dream big enough. Like we have a God who has limitless power and ability. Yep. But we try to put him in this box that, hey, I can only be this or I can only do this yep. or this is the only benchmark that I can hit when in fact if we just focus on the process and we focus on the faith mm -hmm. and let the goal kind of take itself. It's pretty incredible how much more that we can achieve or maybe how much sooner we can achieve a goal. But oftentimes we put ourselves in a box or we put God in a box and his abilities in a box. And it's quite counterintuitive to what we're trying to accomplish. It's all, it's all got to do with identity. It's all got Amen. to do with accepting your identity in Christ. And, and when you do that and when you fully trust in the Lord, um, your life really will be limitless. And again, it might not look like how you thought it was going to look, but it will be successful and it will be full and you will have a purpose. And that's one thing. Well, I'm there's wondering. nowhere in the Bible it says it's going to be easy. No. Not It'll be anything, anything but easy, but you'll have a, you have a purpose. We all have a, we've all been given a purpose and a mission. And it's up to us whether we, you know, we have a free will and it's up to us whether we'll accept accept that or not or whether we'll try to muscle things out on our own which like yeah, rodeo or cowboys own path. And, and i've got some navy seal buddies and some special forces buddies as well and i'm sure in, in law enforcement with what you did we're the toughest guys in the world and, and and the biggest problem is you try to muscle everything out on yourself just because you're physically tough or mentally tough when if you assume that that posture of that lifestyle of trying to muscle things out and making it all work the way you want it to, when you want it to, you, you'll fall in a hole. Yeah, eventually that backfires. God, God will never give you a life where you're not, where He's not needed. Yeah, and so if you try That's to, so if true, you man. try to create so that life, if you try to create that life, 
you'll you'll fall flat on your butt, and that's the way it's set up. We're uh, developing some stuff on burnout, where people just get so overwhelmed, and you're dead true about that. I mean, when I pursued, and I'll speak from my personal experience, when I pursued different chapters of my professional career, it was just that. If I didn't get what I wanted, then I tried harder. And if I didn't get what I wanted, then I came up with a different plan, right? Or another, instead of going to the front door, going... People get it yeah. twisted that that means that you shouldn't try hard and that you should just be in limbo. And that's, that's not yeah. at all what, what, what that means. Oh, it absolutely takes action. But where, where I really started to hit my stride and when I really started to see success is that everything that I, all the skill sets that I've been given that made me quote unquote successful in that industry, those were gifts given to me. Those were gifts given to me. They were things that, he carried the power and the ability to, he entrusted me with them. And when you step off from that angle that these skills are a gift given to me, it just, it bolsters your confidence. Like we talked about, it makes the vision a lot more clear and you can really step off. And when you see how many times God has carried you, I mean, I was talking to a guy the other day. I couldn't even tell you how many times my number should have got punched in my career. Statistics should have said I got, I should have been buried hands down, hands down but God covered my tracks and he ain't going to cover my tracks that many times in my life just to let me flop, just to let me not succeed, just to let me burn out, just to let me be an ineffective resource in my community. Like, heck no, it don't work like that. Not in the slightest. And when I built my relationship with God and understood the gifts that he had given me, it's just unbelievable. There's, there's literally nowhere you can't go. There's nowhere you cannot go. Yeah, 100%. And that's where we really start to develop things. And that's what we try to push in, in a lot of the training and the teaching that we're involved in is just that, is that, yeah, you got to work hard and yeah, things are going to be tough and yeah, things are actually going to be troublesome sometimes. But understand there's a, there's a purpose and a plan and a reason for all of it. Like if you're not getting it, you're at the end of your rope, there's a lesson to be learned. How do we take a step back to be able to perceive that and learn that lesson? But I've accepted in my life that, you know, my path is that a lot of the time I've got to live in the suck, you know, yeah. whether it be that, yeah. whether that be in some grueling workout or whether it be shoeing a horse at 110 degree heat and he's kicking the heck out of you. Like it just, it's, it's, it sucks, but it's good for you because hey, there's that, comfort in chaos, man. Pe- there the is comfort in chaos. People never encounter adversity, true adversity, not what they think adversity is. Those people will never prosper in life. Yep. Living life comfortable is not comfortable, in my opinion. Good stuff, man. So let's talk about let's talk about the uh, cattle company, right? You talked about, yeah, dreams of being a pro cowboy. Yeah. And you got all this experience in the ranching business. And you want to live in Texas. And we're starting to check a lot of those dreams off, right? Those yeah. boxes are getting checked and God's providing for you. Let's talk about the beef industry. Yeah, so... In 2020, when the pandemic hit, I, 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 was living in, I was living in Houston, so I was at my hometown rodeo, the, the big Houston rodeo, the biggest one of them all. <clears throat> and I did really well in the go-rounds. I progressed to the, to the finals, to the semifinals. And the day after my set was over, they shut the country down because of COVID. And so we didn't get paid, and we, we didn't get to – I didn't get to finish out Rodeo Houston. And from there, 
every other rodeo followed suit and they shut they basically shut our whole tour down for the for the whole year now there were still rodeos on in in certain states like south dakota um in the more conservative states that refused to shut their rodeos down but those rodeos that were going on it was only one rodeo a week, maybe two a week, and you'd have to travel like you'd have to fly like a crazy person to get to it. And when you got there, there was eighty or ninety entries, eighty or ninety guys all trying to win first through to fifth. <laughs> you, you know, and so it, it wasn't sustainable. You got your butt whipped. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it's just unbelievably tough. And at that point, rodeo is how I make my living and. And how I provide for my family. Well, I didn't have a family at the time, but I was a couple of weeks away from getting married. So that's how I paid for my paid my bills and and everything. Rodeo's rodeo's been my my only source of income when I'm not shoot, breaking in colts and shoe horses. And so God just put put it again inside my heart that I needed to start this farm to table beef business. And I've been very passionate since I went went to boarding school since God placed me in that boarding school about really learning about cattle and cattle nutrition, all the things that I needed to know outside of just being a day hand. And there was a reason he was making me pay attention to those things. Long story short, I have a I have a broad spectrum knowledge of the entire beef industry, not just raising cattle and selling them at the sale barn, not just butchering cattle, not just killing cattle and not just cooking it so my 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 mother was a was a gourmet chef or is a gourmet chef and about the only thing that she gave me was a uh, sensitive palate to you know cook, ability to, to cook. cook good food and so <laughs> anybody who follows me on social media knows that i i'll be cooking <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that I don't get many invites to those yeah. dinners, man. You you throw those spreads out on Instagram and social media, it's like, dang, man, I yeah. prefer an invite. I know it's a few hour drive, but right. heck, I'll, I'll take a run at it. So anyway, um, in the boarding school when I ran away from home, uh, the kids, we would, like the school kids, we, we would butcher all of our own meat for, the, for, for everybody at the boarding school, all the staff and all the students. So I grew up learning to kill sheep, pigs, and cattle. And then when I when I moved to the cattle station, we're too far to go from town to go to a grocery store. Naturally, we killed our, all of our own beef and butchered all of our own beef to to feed it, the the crew on the cattle station. And so, I've been hunting and 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 killing and preparing my own meat since I can remember. And all the times yeah. when I when I was homeless, a lot of the time living on game meat is is how I survived. Um, as well as working on cattle ranches and cattle stations all over Australia, all over Canada, and all over the United States. I lived in 13 different states, been homeless for most of my adult life, and a lot of the time when I needed somewhere to stay, a roof over my head and a meal, I could get a job on a ranch for a couple of days or a week, yep. you know, working cattle for somebody. So I built this broad-spectrum knowledge of different cattle breeds and cattle nutrition from when I was at school, um, the the finer side of meats from having a sensitive palate and being able to cook really well and just the education of it. And so God put it on my heart to start this farm-to-table beef business in Houston. I had a friend at the time that was a rancher um, that was in rodeo, 
who had a ranch convenient to Houston, an hour and a half from Houston, that raised their own cattle. And I called him up and I, I asked him if I could um, partner with him <clears throat> to raise some cattle um, in big pastures and traps uh, on free choice feed. So the cattle, <clears throat> opposed to how you buy the cattle from the grocery store or the beef from the grocery store, these cattle aren't fed in feedlots because that's it's what's not important. It's what it's it's what's important to the people in the city. Um, they, they want they don't want cattle that are being pumped with steroids and being force fed in concrete feedlots. They want to eat meat that's free range, where the cattle get to migrate. Cattle are migratory animals, and so yeah. I partnered with this guy and we started raising free range chemical free beef and selling sides of beef and quarters, halves and whole steers for families in Houston instead of playing the, the game with the chemical-filled beef in the grocery stores, with the with the cattle that are used as a production line in the grocery stores and, and the vaccines and the additives and the food dyes. And coming from Australia, butchering our own beef and knowing what real beef tastes like and then coming over here and, and seeing how different this chemical-filled radioactive crap that they sell in the store is, I knew right away, I was like, this ain't right. They're doing something to this meat. And so I started this company, and right out of the gate, it spread in Houston like wildfire. Like, it, it was crazy. Definitely not to brag on myself, only Christ, but we did $270,000 worth of sales. I did $270,000 worth of sales in the first 10 days. Just, Holy from, just from educating people about the – about the the cattle that we that we can raise and the beef that we can produce, that's not that yeah. was with no website, no Facebook page, nothing. It was just one Facebook post on my personal Facebook, and my phone ringing off the hook, um, and talking really? to people on the phone. Yeah, and so um, it was just God's timing because it, the the week that I launched the business, it just happened to be the week that. The toilet paper and the and the water bottles and the beef <laughs> left the stores. One hundred percent God's uh, timing, you know. And 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 here here these people are scrounging, thinking that the world's going to end, that we're never going to be able to eat beef again. And here I am, um, offering a whole side of beef direct from the rancher straight to the consumer. And so, yeah, man, it's really taken off. It's been I've never had owned a business before, and um, I'm learning a lot and I've had a lot of failures as far as the tr strategic and managerial side of things and the logistical side of things with running this business, but it's absolutely been a blessing. And I know for a fact that God's placed it in my life so that I can transition into this after I'm too old to ride bucking horses. And that, and that, okay. and that's super important for me not to turn into a crazy person because when my body says no more, or, or God says no more because of my family, because of everything else. I have something that I can charge in full steam ahead with in this in this business. Yeah, you got a pretty clear landing zone. So, um, heck yeah, I've needed to have something like that that I can aggressively work towards, you know. And uh, so, how do people how do people get a hold of you if they're trying to try to order beef? Man, we're we're just on online thomascattleandcatering.com. That's my website. We have social media and. I'm I'm the guy that answers the phone and answers all the questions, and so um, people, my customers get to speak to me directly. Um, and it's 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 what you see is what you get, and it's a true farm to table beef business. And so that we're, we're able cool, to man. provide, you know, 
through my life experiences um, and, and downfalls, honestly, um, I'm able to provide farm fresh beef without the chemicals straight from the rancher to the consumer in Houston. So that it's the third awesome. biggest city in America, and um, we don't really have to go any, anywhere else. We, I service Houston and Greater Houston and then some of the country towns surrounding but I've got my hands full there. We haven't, ex- ex- I haven't expanded bigger than that yet. But right now, um, we've got our hands full, and 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 the and the the business is blessed. You know, with the economy crashing in 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 our country, um, it's been very tough. Uh, sales have slowed way down because of, you know, because of everything in the hyperinflation in this country. But we're sustaining. Um, people are people are. We're, I'm seeing people live paycheck to paycheck, which my regular customers over the last two years have never done. And it's, you know, it's sad and it's scary for the, for the people of America, but um, we're, we're sustaining and we're moving forward. Heck yeah, we'll be all right. Yep. We'll be all right. Well, man, I want to continue with your servant's heart and I want to talk about your foundation. You know, you talked about coming up as a, I'm going to say misguided youth, right? You didn't really have those leaders in your life and you didn't have those father figures and you didn't have those individuals that really poured into you. And you decided that you're going to do your part to provide that to the next generation. So let's talk about your foundation and what you have to offer through AT Horsepower. Yeah, so, you know, God really put it on my heart. I've always wanted to give back to the sport that gave me a sense of purpose purpose and belonging. And so I, I have a heart to... I had a heart to start this foundation, and it's a not-for-profit called the AT Horsepower Foundation, and it's basically surrounded around uh, misguided and underprivileged inner-city kids to learn about the Western way of life through the principles of the cowboy. So we have two camps, um, an introduction to rodeo and what we call Outback Revival. So we teach the kids how to light a fire, pitch a tent, bait a hook, catch a fish, clean a fish, cook over a fire. Just the common basic life skills that saved my life. And, uh, you know, not to be controversial, but the whole world was founded on agriculture. The whole of America, all of Australia was founded on agriculture. And in most countries in the world, there wasn't just the generic white guy that was tending to the land. There was natives. There, there yeah, has been natives. Absolutely. There has been um, um, Hispanics, Mexicans, uh, blacks, Asians, even Afghanis. Even in Australia, I know the, the Asians and the Afghanis had a huge influence in in the in the cattle stations and agriculture um, since since the inception. And uh, when you look at pro rodeo in the rough stock events, there's no, there's no mixed bag of skittles like there is in every other sport. Yeah, it's it's just a and and I'm not crying racism or 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 assuming a victim mentality whatsoever. I'm just calling a spade a spade. But in our sport at this level of competition, there's there's no diversity. There's no multiculturalism in our sport. And I think that that's really sad because, like I just mentioned, the world was founded on agriculture since the pioneer days by all walks of life. And so 
I truly believe that God's keeping me in the sport now so that I can build credibility and show these kids for the foundation that they can look at, they can watch the TV and watch the Cowboy Channel and watch Pro Rodeo Online and see somebody that looks like them that doesn't look like everybody else and say, hey, I wanted to be a cowboy too. That guy looks like me. Maybe I can. Yep. Heck yeah. Because when I grew up, there wasn't. And I was that kid. It's cool to see that you uh, obviously acknowledge the deficit, but you're doing something to fix it. You know, instead of just uh, so many people just provide lip service and you, you talked about it, right? Take that victim mentality of poor me or yeah, no. whatever. But you, the day, the day you, grabbing... you assume that victim mentality in anything in life, yeah, it's all over. you die. It's all um, over at that point, yes, sir. But for you to actually grab the bull by the horns and actually get out there and put your own time on the line and bring up the next generation and expose them and be the leaders in those communities, right? Because obviously rodeo isn't popular in those communities, but for you to get out there, step out there and, mm. and take the initiative to bring it to them and educate them. Well, the unique thing about Houston is that the unique thing about Houston is that actually in the hood, in the third ward in Houston and in Sunnyside, as crazy as it sounds, those kids actually live on that. Those kids actually have horses, and yeah. they and they, yep. they have them tied to trees in their front yards, and there's no fences, and they have them that the, the horses live on thirty foot of rope tied to a big tree in their front yard, and this is all through the hood, and these kids grow yep. up riding these freaking knothead horses because, <laughs> of course, none of them are castrated, so they're all stallions and mares, and I mean. <laughs> You know, and so the, there are these kids that hear about this dream about being a cowboy. And the beautiful part about Houston is they have the Houston Rodeo. So everybody in the city knows what rodeo is and they know where cowboys are. Yeah. Yeah. I had a guest recently, uh, Todd Laverne, and he lives in Los Angeles in a suburb of Los Angeles. And same thing. He provides equine services in Compton. And Compton is the last place that you would think to find horses. But there's a rich, rich, rich western history in that community rich horseman history and it's just it's not where most people would look to find horsemen and cowboys and it's cool that there's some form of that tradition still alive and guys like yourself that are willing to take it on and guys like todd that are willing to take it on and and bring it to the next gen yep you know to anybody that's that's in the in the western industry in the horse industry in the rodeo industry that's had a rough go um looking back if i was to look at myself and, and, and the older me and, and talk to the younger me, um, I would go and seek, I would go and seek somebody that had a rational, that had a rational mind, somebody that, that knew who Jesus was. Because if I had, if I had that person in my life that, that I have now, my pastors and, and my Christian accountability partners, if I had those partners in my life, people in my life, when I was this troubled, confused kid, I would have gone so much further, so much faster. Um, yeah. Trying to live a life of confusion without Jesus in my heart and then Jesus in my mind and Jesus in my life, it was a wreck. Yeah. I lived a life of fighting and womanizing and debauchery and all of the stuff that you hear about on the country songs. I, it's 100% true. <laughs> and it. so heartbreak and failure and fighting and, I mean, it's just a wreck. And so – if if I had known who Jesus was and started walking in his footsteps and known about the Bible earlier in my life, that is the one thing that I would change about my life and how important that is 
to guiding your footsteps towards success and, and, a, and a life of wholeness and a life of fulfillment. I love it, man. I usually wrap every episode with legacy, life advice, and uh, obviously a testament to your preparation and your skills. You, uh, you provided it before I even had to ask the question. So, And lastly, guys, a lot of, a lot of people's parents failed. And, and, and nobody wants to admit it. And a lot of people are so loyal to their, to their parents and their family because it's your parents and it's your family. But know this, you can't put your, you can't rely on man. You can't put your faith and trust in man. Even if they're your parents, they can fail. They can say Absolutely. things to you. They can treat you certain ways that can be detrimental to the rest of your life. If you assume that as a part of your identity. And so if your parents failed you, if they harmed you physically, mentally, or spiritually, just know that you don't need earthly parents in order to succeed and rise up in everything you're doing in your life. Just know that you have a heavenly father that says you are whole, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that that there is a plan and a purpose for your life without no matter what anybody else says. And nobody, nobody can ever take that from you. Dream big. And chase your dreams and don't let any human on earth tell you any any otherwise because I'm a true testament. Even though success hasn't looked like what I wanted it to look like in my life, I wanted to be a world champion. I, I, I wanted to make the national finals and I haven't got there yet, but I'm living my childhood dream. I'm a business owner and I have a house and a family and, and these things are absolutely unbelievable for somebody like me. Been homeless for most of my adult life. Ran away from home at a young age, had nobody and nothing, and only because of God putting people in my life and things and situations in my life and me understanding that, that I was able to walk into this into this place that he had for me as a father and a family man, to have a ministry in Pro Rodeo, to teach others about Christ, and, and, and to be a business owner. And I'm going to come out of this Pro Rodeo deal when God says enough's enough and, and, and have a business to to provide for my family for it. And that's, that's just an unbelievable story because if you had a look at this troubled, messed up kid that ran away from home, that went to boarding school and decided he didn't want to go home anymore, you, you would say there's no way. And there was no way without Christ. Absolutely incredible. Could not agree with you more, Tomo. And I'm glad that you've uh, taken the time out of your busy schedule. I know tonight's a big, big night with Good Time Charlie and Pete Carr Rodeo, but we'll be praying for you, brother, and I cannot thank you enough for making time for yeah. all of us here no, at the Freedom Rain so Podcast, for, dude. And, uh, I'm very humbled to be invited to your podcast. It's a great thing that you're doing, Swick, and it, feel free to, to, to follow us on Instagram or Facebook and, and see you know the journey, journey that I have. Um, what's different from me and other rodeo athletes is you, you're not just going to see a highlight reel with me. You're going to see the highs and lows. You're going to see when things suck. You're going to see when things are great. You're going to see raw things, and you're going to see Jesus. Heck Even yeah. if we don't talk about Jesus, you're going to see, you're going to see Jesus because that's that's the only good thing in my life. If it's not good, if it's not of God, it's not good. I love it, man. I love it. Let's get connected here pretty soon, man, and start putting a battle plan together. I think there's a lot that we can roll in together. All right, thanks, Wick. All right, brother. We'll talk to you. Bye. Thanks again for joining us here on Let Freedom Reign podcast. If you are looking to grow in the areas of leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship, please visit day6ranch.com to see all we have to offer in the form of free content, podcasts, and material related to building a legacy-worthy lifestyle.